Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Double J, Jeff Jarrett, here to tell you a little bit about the nonstop savings happening over here at SaveWithConrad.com. Are high credit card balances holding you down on the card? If you're looking to give a guitar shot to your credit card debt or give your home the push it deserves with some upgrades and remodeling, you need to go to SaveWithConrad.com. That's right, SaveWithConrad.com. Conrad and his team are routinely helping my world listeners save five, six, seven, even $800 a month. Oh, did I mention you get to skip your next two house payments? Take a cue from The Last Outlaw, because if anybody knows how to get the bag, it's me. Strut on over to SaveWithConrad.com today and see how much money you can save for free. That's right. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 32416, equal housing lender. SaveWithConrad.com. How's it going, everyone? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff, presented to you by the Ad-Free Shows and Podcast Seat Networks. I'm John Alba, and we have a loaded edition of the business of the business here on this particular episode. We're going to be talking about Sting's last match at AW Revolution. We're going to be talking about the TKO Holdings call and some of the fallout of that and a whole lot more, but I'm not doing that alone. Of course, I'm joined by the one and only Mr. Eric Bischoff, Easy e How's the hair coming in, pal? Slow. No, it's coming in. But see, here's the deal, John. I got an overhead light here. By the way, I'm going to redo my studio here over the next couple of weeks. It's going to look completely different. But in the meantime, I look like I'm in a treehouse, and I got an overhead light here. And when it bounces off this, you know, silver hair, I, I look like a fucking hubcap. So <laughs> that's why. That's why you got to get on the makeup flow, bro. That's why we wear makeup and TV. Whenever you get the light reflecting, that's it's supposed to absorb it and take it in. Well, it doesn't reflect off anything but my head. Mm. When I change my lighting up in here, I'll be able to I'll be able to fix all that. And in the meantime, my hair eventually will will grow back, and I'll be off and running. Yeah. What do we yeah, got today, right. man? Let's dig into it. No more chit chat. I'm tired of no more chit chat. Well, I did not ask you. I've had a lot of people asking about your opinions. We we suffered a couple losses this week, unfortunately, in the wrestling world. Ole Anderson and Virgil. Anything you'd like to add on either of the two of them? No, I mean, look, Oli was Oli was Oli, and I I have some great memories of Oli. I have some memories that I try to put out of my mind when it comes to Oli, but I enjoyed him. You know, is is as much of an honorary, cantankerous, negative, some bits as he was, he was kind of fun to be around, and he had a good sense of humor if he was comfortable around you. And, and he had a lot of knowledge. Unfortunately, Oli, like guys of his era, Bill Watts, Vern Gagne, you know, he was so 
he was so firmly entrenched in the way business was done back in the 70s, in, in the 80s, that he refused to consider doing things differently. And as the business evolved, just like it is today, it was evolving back in, in the late 80s and the early 90s and mid 90s. And only just, he was a square peg in a round hole, but he was a lovable square peg in that round hole if, if you had a decent relationship with him. He had a great sense of humor. And uh, one of the one of the more outspoken characters of his era, that's for sure. Um, Virgil, you know, I, I was going to post something yesterday, and you know, there's only so much you can convey in a social media post. And look, I didn't get to know Mike real well on a personal basis. So I, I can't speak to who he really was away from the business, <clears throat> but I can tell you what my relationship with, with him was in the business. And I saw, the last time I saw Mike was probably, I was in Albany, New York at a signing or something. And, and, and Mike was there and he came running up to me and he was so excited. And, and I, you know, I didn't know why, like I said, it's not like we were real close friends and, and I had seen, you know, like around at different conventions and signings. So it wasn't unusual. It wasn't like the first time he ever saw me. But he came running up to me and he had something in his hand. And he said, I just want to give you this. I just want to give you this. And I and I took it and, and it was a picture of he and I, and I could tell it had been cropped out of another picture. So he, he just cropped out the part that was he and I. And he, he, he signed it to me. Thanks for everything or whatever it was. And he was so excited to give that to me. And he gave it to me and I thanked him for it. You know, we shook hands and off he went. And that is my memory of Mike, not only that day, but whenever I saw Mike backstage, he, he was always happy. He was always smiling. He was one of those guys that looked like he had fun and he was enjoying himself the minute he walked through the door until the last time I saw him in Albany. He just enjoyed it. And people could say what they want to say about his career. And certainly he was he was quite the character in the last, you know, five or ten years, certainly. But I found him to be entertaining as hell and a positive, fun, loving guy who enjoyed life. And that's how I choose to remember him. That's what how I do remember him, and that's the memory that I hold on to. I think there was a lot of endearing factors about Virgil in particular that really resonated with a lot of fans like I know it became somewhat of a meme to see him at the conventions and with the small lines but he endeared himself to it and I think especially man think about how many people can say this he was legitimately part of two of the hotter angles in an eight-year period of time in, in the history of wrestling like take say what you want to say the Million Dollar Man Virgil stuff was hot and people were super into that. And then to be part of the NWO angle years later in a totally different role, man, that's a credit to the performer because you don't get in those positions for no reason, right? Look, he, Mike was a great character. He loved the business. You know, he had, and I was thinking about this again yesterday, you know, and it wasn't just my opinion of Mike is in terms of him being just a fun, positive guy to be around. Mike had a lot of respect backstage, not because he was the greatest wrestler in the world, not because he had the strongest promo in the world, 
but because he enjoyed what he did. And it's interesting that you point out, you know, what, what Mike's character ended up being was kind of a meme of himself because he'd go to these conventions and, you know, maybe four or five people in line waiting to see him or sometimes less. He still had fun doing it. And I think Mike's love for the business and the people in it, which I think was a big part of it, is why Mike enjoyed so much respect in the locker room. So that's it. I would, that's all I, I got would, to say. I would agree with that. Uh, good, good words from you there, Eric. Uh, we got lots to get into, so let's get into it on the business of the business. We had the TKO year-end earnings call for Q4 and got some projections as well for what we can expect from this year. We got some comments about Vince McMahon's status with TKO and some numbers that came from it. I know we don't like to get too bogged down in a lot of corporate speak here, but there were some interesting notes that came from this call. Uh, UFC and WWE, Eric. I think when this partnership was made, there is almost this inherent curiosity as to who is the more successful brand of the two, because now they're, they're partnering together. And what we heard here is that UFC came in uh, at a 142.9 million uh, total revenue, WWE coming in at $141 million in revenue. Uh, both of the companies are Ferrari Emanuel off to a strong start following record financial performances in 2023. And he praised the synergy between the two companies. We've seen some crossover so far, Eric, uh, between the two. We've seen UFC performers show up on WWE television. Michael Chandler did that. We've seen WWE stars show up at UFC shows. What do you think so far of that partnership and how that's working out? I think the crossover is just ancillary i don't think it really matters much it's it's functional it doesn't hurt anything i don't think it's going to have a dramatic effect on the business i think people like to focus on it because it's on tv and they can see it i think the the synergy that matters the most is the synergy that nobody ever sees until after it happens which is sponsorship arena relationships um, those are the types of synergies that actually matter. The cross promotional stuff is like I say, it's very ancillary. It's, it's I, I guess it's something that strategically you should do, but I don't think it's meaningful from a financial perspective, at least not in the, at the same level as some of the other synergies that actually matter. Now, on top of this, Eric, we did hear about Vince's standing with TKO on where the company is now they did confirm in this that Ari Emanuel, in addition to being CEO, is also executive chair of the company. Mark Shapiro was asked about Vince's status, and uh, he did say that the company has put significant difference distance rather between McMahon and TKO. Uh, McMahon, of course, still owns a little more than 20 million shares. That's about 25% of total outstanding Class A shares and about 12% of economic value and voting power in the large TKO. So there is still voting power with Vince, but he did say that the company is completely on the sidelines as far as Vince McMahon is concerned. They have no idea on the timing of any of the logistical stuff with the lawsuit. They're not having any discussions with Vince. It seems like Vince is no longer uh, in much of the periphery at all of TKO, but with those voting shares and, and some power there, is that something that could linger? What kind of insight can you provide for us on, on that front? Not much because I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert in corporate governance and, and, 
and particularly with public companies and what that 12% could mean. But I think just if you take a very common sense approach to it, you know, in and of itself, that 12% probably doesn't mean much, but in combination with other voting shares who may vote along the same lines as, as what Vince may want to vote on, then it could become meaningful if it's a close vote, I guess. Um, but beyond that, uh, I, I think TKO has done a great job. They've had to, given the litigation and everything that, that's at risk of disting itself from Vince McMahon. And other than that 12% voting stock, which could potentially, in a very unique situation, matter, I, I think at the end of the day, Vince will eventually cash out or his family will inherit his shares or however they're distributed upon death, assuming he doesn't cash them in before death. Uh, I don't think that Vince's relationship with TKO vis-a-vis his 12% is really going to matter. Technically it could, but practically I don't think it'll ever matter. And they did say that they don't have an update on what Vince plans to do with those shares, whether he decides to maintain them or whatever it may be, they were not able to provide insight at the time of the call. Uh, They did make note, though, that WWE was able to post a year revenue of $1.3 billion, which was up 3% from 2022. Uh, And UFC was posting, I mean, huge climb for them, 13% revenue to $1.3 billion. So essentially both companies, Eric, valued around the same. Uh, The biggest thing that they were really pressed on in terms of content, which I I found very fascinating, was we know there's going to be a gap in when WWE's deal with NBC Universal for Monday Night Raw comes and when the Netflix deal starts in January. The Raw deal ends Uh, at the end of Q3, beginning of Q4. So there's going to be a multi-month period there where Raw's platform is yet to be determined. And Shapiro said that they feel, quote, pretty positive that Raw will be available for consumption. Have you put any thought into that on where we might see Raw end up? Because we know SmackDown is immediately moving to NBC Universal. I've been trying to rack my brain at what some of the options could be. And if WWE chooses to go OTT in their own way on Peacock or or whatever it may be, has that thought crossed your mind at all? No, I don't have a guess. You know, I, I I don't, I don't know the market well enough to know where the opportunities may lie. I can't see anybody, another platform agreeing to take raw for three months or four months or whatever it is. I don't see that. Uh, So I, Honestly, I don't know. I don't have an opinion. I'm curious, just like everybody else. Like, how how do you take it direct to consumer for just a, a few months? I, I It seems very strange that they find themselves in the situation without having some sort of plan. So maybe there is a plan and we just. Or maybe they just, maybe it goes dark. Maybe they imagine it's advantage of that period of time to kind of build anticipation, to promote it heavily, to create awareness and get everybody prepped for the big move. There's nothing wrong with that strategy. And I don't know financially if that makes any sense, but if they don't have a great outlet, if they don't have a solution as to where that show is going to live for that period of time uh, during that transition, then I don't know that I would be afraid 
of, you know, a couple months off to, again, retool, reshape, create, promote, and more than anything, build anticipation, treat it like it's WrestleMania and, and, and build up to it so that when it does debut premiere, whatever the right word is on, on Netflix, there's a built-in anticipation for it, like a major event. There's nothing wrong with that. It's risky, costs money, but it may be a better option than, you know, buying time on another off network. Let me throw that's this the other option. Just buy the time. You can do that. That's that's a really interesting idea that you proposed there, almost like a soft reboot of Raw to start the year on Netflix. But let me propose this to you. What about the idea of taking Raw and for a few months putting it on a social media platform to stream? Like Twitter? Like, That'd be awesome. like Twix, like Facebook, whatever it may be. We know WWE used to have the Mixed Match Challenge show stream exclusively on Facebook. Uh, they have the WWE Speed Show that's going to be streaming on X. So what if you, for three, four months, I can't imagine one of those companies wouldn't be willing to at least entertain that idea. Oh, certainly, certainly X would, Twix, as I like to call it. And WWE, as you just pointed out, has kind of put their toe in the water. To me, it makes the most sense if you look at some of the other big brands that have, and personalities, that have come out and started streaming on Twix or X. Um, hugely successful. I'm a big supporter of Elon Musk. I think that the platform has grown. It's getting better. It's becoming more successful. I think it's the future in many respects um, of social media. And I think, I think that would be a good solution. I'm not sure that it would be a better solution than going dark and building anticipation, but it's certainly a solution. You're going to get eyeballs. I mean, Tucker Carlson proved that, didn't he? And he went from being the number one host on, 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 across the board, outperforming every major news network, every other cable outlet, obviously, was one of the, the, the most successful uh, talking heads on, 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 in the news category. And he would maybe get two, three million, two and a half million viewers per, per episode. He's over on Twix and he's, some of his episodes have gotten 30 and 40 million viewers. So you're going to get more eyeballs. I don't know from a monetization point of view that it makes any sense. I think if it was me by myself and I had to make that decision without the benefit of any data to 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 analyze, I'd just take it dark and I put all my effort and energy in building promotion for that reboot. That's what I would do. But what do I know? I have a big bang style event. One one of the things too, Eric, about it, if you did social media, is unlike having it on television or streaming there's a chance for real-time engagement in the show you could pull up real-time x posts or facebook comments wherever you choose to stream it and integrate that into the show if you wanted to you could I, it, it would be a very different presentation even if it was just for a short period of time uh, so I'm, I'm fascinated by where things could stand with that uh, we're going to talk a little more WWE stuff after our interview with Jay Reddick here, because we're going to talk about Sting. And then there's a couple WWE lawsuit informations and news tidbits that we got this week, too, uh, that we're going to hit on. Uh, but, Eric, we are building in the final days here towards Sting's last match. Uh, he's going to be the headlining match at AEW Revolution. 
I know you're going to talk a little bit about it in the interview, but seeing Sting come down from the rafters, man, how'd that make you feel? Yeah, that was awesome. It was very, very well done. Um, I, I was excited to see it. It was a, it was a classy, entertaining kind of tip of the hat to, to what I think was the, the peak of the, of Sting's career as, as the crow, uh, his second big successful incarnation as a character for surfer sting and then the crow sting. And I think that what we saw last night, I think it was executed very well. I think it satisfied everybody that wanted to watch it. And it, uh, it was very, very well done. There was also an allusion to his final WCW nitro promo where they had the bats hanging from the ceiling. Uh, it, it was really well done. I'm, I'm with you on that. And they're going to be in this tornado tag match that is going to headline this show. Uh, aw revolution now eric i want to let you get your plug in you and conrad are going to be live before and after revolution is that correct yeah live on the 83 weeks youtube channel we're going to uh, approach this the same way we did the big wwe press conference with rock and cody rhodes we're going to do a pre-game show uh or pre-event show if you will and we're going to watch along we'll jump in whenever it's appropriate if there's anything interesting to talk about otherwise we're going to just enjoy it like everybody else is enjoying it and we're going to do a post show all of this on 83 weeks on youtube uh, i would suggest strongly if you haven't done so already go to 83 weeks on youtube.com we'll throw some graphics up maybe at the end of the show I'll certainly be promoting it on social media, but 83 weeks on youtube.com subscribe and also click the bell ding, 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 because you want to be notified when this thing starts, we're going to be doing a lot more on YouTube in the weeks and months to come. We have some big announcements coming your way very, very shortly. And uh, I encourage you to check it out. We had a tremendous turnout when we covered the press conference and uh, hope to do it again. Well, Eric, I can't believe that Sting's last match is finally upon us going down in Greensboro. So to break things down, give us a little more context, because context is king here on Strictly Business in 83 Weeks. We're bringing in Jay Reddick. He is a combat sports reporter from the Orlando Sentinel, and he's got quite the history in the Greensboro area himself. Uh, Jay, first off, thanks for hopping on Strictly Business. We really appreciate it. We had heard that this event was originally going to be going down in the Midwest, but things were changed when uh, it was indicated it would be Sting's last match. Why is Greensboro the perfect fit for something like this? Well, I feel like Greensboro was NWA and WCW's home base when, when Sting first came into the company. So for that reason, I feel like it makes a lot of sense. You know, Sting's first sort of breakout performance with uh, with Ric Flair, 45-minute draw at the first Clash of Champions, that was at the Greensboro Coliseum. So I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of memories there and a lot of a lot of other memories that are tied to Greensboro and tied to the Carolinas. Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at painterlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word weeks to 87204. 
That's weeks to 87204. Text weeks to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This right now standing place to be AEW's biggest arena show in some time, according to WrestleTix, that does a great job tracking tickets. Uh, AEW has distributed 16,084 tickets for the Greensboro Coliseum and the Revolution show. Why is the market so interested in an event like this? I could be wrong, but I always get the sense that the North Carolina wrestling fan is very loyal. I think that when you give a, uh, especially for old school NWA, WCW type of stuff, you know, when you, when you give them something good to come back to, I think that, that it'll draw. I know that, um, WWE tried a Starcade or two in, in the area, and I believe those drew well, you know, and, and it was based on uh, nostalgia and, and just sort of get, getting the chance to go back and see the guys that you remember from the 80s and early 90s. Eric, let me ask you this. He, he just brought up a really interesting point about nostalgia selling. And and I feel like an event like this is kind of built around nostalgia, right? We just sort of. First of all, AJ, this is my first chance to jump in here. Thanks for joining us, brother. Appreciate it. Uh, No, but but we just saw, you know, Dynamite had the big ending with Sting coming down from the rafters. Uh, In your opinion, Eric, how do you successfully tap into nostalgia in 2024? Is there a balance to be struck? Like, how would you assess this event is doing so? Well, I think AEW did a great job last night with the the setup with Sting and 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 him coming down out of the rafters, ending up on a on a ramp behind the Bucks and all that. I mean, that was pure. That was such a nod to Sting, probably 1997, 98, uh, at really the height of, of the Crow character. And I think that was a really tasteful, entertaining, fun way particularly in the in the context of Sting's last match last night was supposed to be his last dynamite or was his last dynamite so i think that was such a a a classy and entertaining kind of tip of the hat to what was in you know many respects it's arguable it's all subjective but really the peak of Sting's success i think was that era which is why we're still seeing his character today which is why we saw what we saw last night which is you know, an homage to Sting and Nitro and all that. And again, it was very well done. It was very entertaining. Um, but there is, you do have to have a balance. You know, you want to satisfy that nostalgia itch, but you don't want to scratch it so hard you draw blood. And I think scratching it too hard would be an overabundance of it. Too, too, you know, if, if you looked at a card or you looked at, you just looked at a show, Forget about the card necessarily, but you just look at what's on that show. I think a nod to nostalgia in this case, you know, focusing on it because it is leading to a big event. 
know, 25, 20, 25% of your show, if it's a tasteful, entertaining, classy way to, to tip the hat to years gone by, I think that's awesome. And, and it, that also satisfies the younger and newer audience because they have a relationship, you know, to, to the history as well, to the legacy of performers like Stang and Ric Flair and, and, and others from that era. Um, so, you, yeah, you got to be careful. You don't overdo it. It's just like anything else, man. So, Jay, as someone who's attended so many wrestling events in that area, why is it that Sting resonates with the Carolina wrestling fan so much? I think, honestly, to, to start with, Greensboro was very much a horseman town. Um, the all, all the stuff about Flair Country and Horseman Country is very, very true. And I think that Sting was a, a you know, great opponent for the horsemen. And I think he earned the respect of the Greensboro wrestling fan really quickly in terms of the, the smarter fan. And I think that his, his presentation got over with the, uh, with the younger set. And Jay, that was before my time. I hadn't come to WCW at that point. In fact, I didn't think I even knew much about WCW, if anything at all, because we didn't get TBS where I live. So I didn't really learn much about WCW until I went to work there. But what was things? What was things character? I mean, did he come out as Surfer Sting, or was it an early version of the Surfer Surfer Sting character? What do you remember? What I can remember from now is that the by the time he got to WCW, I feel like the Surfer Sting character was pretty well pretty well established. I don't remember a whole lot of uh, adjustments once he once he jumped into the to the uh, promotion now the the draw is what intrigues me most because we always hear these legendary carolina wrestling shows and you know what made them so special and and sting being able to kind of embed himself and endear himself within that market here how critical would you say sting was as a draw from your perspective jay as the spectator at the time in really helping light that scene on fire I think it sort of sort of goes back to what I was saying. The Horsemen were were a very big draw in terms of live in the in Greensboro and in the Carolinas, and Sting was just the the, the ultimate protagonist to uh, to go against them. And I think it, that it, in that way, that was how he he grew as a as a draw. It, so it, let it, me ask you. I want, I want, let me jump in, John. So ahead, no, please. Greensboro, the Carolinas, Horseman Country. Sting emerges as a protagonist, a babyface, for, for those Dave Meltzer dirt sheet writers, a good guy. Are you suggesting then that the wrestling fans in the Carolinas love the heels? Like, were the heels over? If they're horseman country and they're heels, it's kind of like people looking at the NWO as heels but getting cheered. Was that kind of the same thing? I feel like, and I, I was not probably old enough to know a ton of markets at this time because I, I was, I was in high school when when Sting first emerged, but um, there was a group, and 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 there were so a lot of the most vocal fans in Greensboro loved the heels, and so I think that that, you know. Didn't you know? Didn't make it a, a a heel town necessarily, but it certainly gave a uh, 
you know, gave a certain shine to the heels and, and to the horsemen as the, you know, as sort of the cool heels of, of the time. And Sting came in as, as like you say, the ultimate protagonist to uh, to go against them and earn respect. So what was the reaction? Is Sting's coming in as, as the baby face of the protagonist? Um, and But that, at least that segment of the audience were really horseman fans and heel fans. How did they react to Sting? Is it like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> We can't. I can't wait to see everybody kick your ass. Or did it shift? The, did it shift that portion of the audience a little bit? Did they? Did they gradually or, or immediately kind of change over and become Sting fans as opposed to Horseman fans? What was? It? Do you remember? I mean, I know it was a, a long little, time. A little bit. There were um, there were a bunch of signed guys in the front row, and when Sting first started out, they you know they would they would have signs against them. They would signs that said Stink. They there were all kinds of. Uh, Sting you know. sucks. Mm -hmm. Don't go back to California. Right. Take and, your surfboard and go home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I never felt like that that hatred was real. Right. I always felt like you know Sting sort of very quickly earned the respect enough to where it's like, okay, we'll have fun with him as a baby face, but we don't really hate him. That must and, and what was I mean Ric Flair especially was Ric Flair even though he's part of the Horseman and the Horseman were heels okay we've covered that but did Ric Flair have did could, my biggest challenge with Rick and working with him professionally is he loved being a heel but he nobody really wanted to hate him because he's Ric Flair you really just want to go out and have a cocktail with him right hang out maybe go out for steak you don't really want to, to boo a guy like that. Was was Ric Flair a hated heel or was he kind of a beloved heel? Do you remember? He exactly what you said. He he was he was a beloved heel. I think in in Greensboro, at least in my in my day, he always was. Now, Jay, let, let me ask you this because you've been I, I've seen you at a ton of AEW and WWE events over the course of the past couple of years, and I, I really would love some context on the type of draw that AEW is in that. South Atlantic, Southeast region where you're based. Um, it, it's not a region that AW has visited a ton in recent years. They kind of started there, obviously, the Jacksonville shows, and they did a couple of Orlando shows and a couple of stuff in the Carolinas, but they really haven't gone back to that market a ton. What's your general assessment on what the appetite is for AW programming and why they're having this pay per view there aside from Sting? I think you're right about that, and I, I I feel like Florida is a different animal, and and Jacksonville and Orlando is a is a different animal than the Carolinas and the South in general to me. But um, I know that AEW had a collision there last fall, I believe it was, and that drew well. That was the um, that was the first time in the market. I don't know what. Um, I don't know what AEW would look like doing repeat business in the area. I, I know they're doing uh, the Atlanta area for a dynamite taping next Wednesday. I'll be curious to see how that draws, but I think that Sting is drawing this house. I think that is, that is, uh, well, that's clear. Mm -hmm. And, and probably is drawing most of this house. I don't know what revolution looks like as a draw in greensboro without him is there an appetite from that fan base for the product as far as you see it like what kind of insight can you provide on that because you you just gave us all this background on the type of carolina wrestling fan and and what they enjoyed 
20, 30 years ago. Has that translated successfully in AEW's product to be able to return to that region and produce major pay-per-view shows? I think it could. I think I, you know, I don't want to pigeonhole the area as just a nostalgia group. I'm, you know, WWF and WWE drew a lot of uh, sellout and near sellout crowds to to Greensboro and the surrounding area. So I, I don't know. Based on what I saw at Collision, I think that that the AEW uh, brand yep. and, and and its wrestlers are are going to draw in in the Carolinas probably no matter what at least for bigger shows. Sure. And and you got to keep in mind too, you know, there are several names that are Carolina associated that will be on this show too. Uh, even though he's not advertised for a match, you know, Adam Copeland's going to be there, you know, FTR's there, they're on the show. So I'd imagine that that helps as well. Eric, what was your approach to marketing towards the Carolinas and North Carolina? Did you ever tap into that nostalgia with your general booking approach to those shows? No, we were nostalgia. We were still nostalgia. (laughs) No, there was no particular. And by the way, while you guys were talking, I was looking at some of the ticket sales in that market. Obviously, Greensboro is doing well, but let's face it. We got to be honest here. We don't have to be negative, but we have to be honest. AEW couldn't sell out Huntsville, Alabama with Sting's final match on Dynamite. Hours before the show, there were still tickets for sale for a 3,000 seat venue. I think if you look at the Southeast and anywhere AEW is going right now, ticket sales are not strong anywhere with the exception of Greensboro and some unique kind of um, one-off type events, big events. in, In terms of what WCW did differently, you have to remember WCW is sort of, you know, WCW originally was a part of the, the Crockett promotional infrastructure. So many people that were originally part of Jim Crockett promotions, once Ted bought them out of bankruptcy, brought them over, created WCW. A lot of the same people that were part of the Crockett promotions infrastructure came over, including David Crockett, Jackie Crockett, Gary Jester, a lot of the people that were familiar with or working directly with Elliot Murdoch, for example, was a local promoter. So many of them came over. So just about everything that they had been doing in that market, the relationships they had with the buildings, the venues, the the building managers, the people that made the decisions, they were a very close-knit kind of community. And WCW kind of continued doing business as they always had shortly after WCW was created, meaning that WCW didn't treat that market any differently at all. They just kind of continued what they had been doing. Once I came on board and started to have influence and eventually control over live events, that market had been burned to the ground. We, When I got to WCW in 1991, we would go to events for my Anderson, South Carolina, my very first television taping. I don't think there were 800 people in the audience. That's that's where that market was with WCW when I got there. Once I had control over WCW, I didn't treat the market any differently um, until it became apparent that promoting live events, especially non-televised live events, was a complete waste of money and time. We were losing money every time we went out the door. I've said that repeatedly, and it was it's a fact. It wasn't until really 95, 96 that we became a little more popular. And even then, I was reluctant to go to those markets in the Southeast where traditionally we 
we had been so often because we just, we overused them. We, we came to those markets so often. It's like, oh, WCW's back in town. Oh, weren't they just here last month? Yeah. Did you have fun? Yeah, it was all right. Eh, let's go do something else. That was kind of the prevailing perception of the brand, if you will. It wasn't really until 95, 96 that that began to change. Mm. And we became pretty judicious about where we promoted, especially our big events, our televised events. Then it, it started to change. But with respect to how much additional kind of nostalgia that we brought to the table when we went to those markets, it was never a consideration. We didn't do anything any differently. We were just more selective about mm. where we went and how often. Mm. Well, Jay, before we let you go, I, I want to ask you about Ric Flair real quick here. Uh, involved in a pretty big angle there on Dynamite. They kind of disappeared for a few weeks and they teased him last week, came back. Turned on the young bucks after he kind of looked like he was going to align with them. How much do you think Rick has played into any of the draw here? Do you think people are buying tickets in that area for Ric Flair being part of this final match presentation? I mostly doubt it. I think that um, maybe maybe this is just a, a personal thing, but I. I feel like Rick's last couple of appearances have not done a lot to to, to move the needle for um, for ticket sales for Greensboro. I'm I'm sure that you know people coming to see Rick is is, is quite a draw, but I think Sting is is definitely the thanks for the house guy here. I, I agree with you, Jay, hundred percent. Those tickets, everybody that my opinion doesn't matter what my opinion is. I'm just going to share it anyway. So fuck it. Those tickets sold because everybody knew it was Sting's last match. This is our last opportunity to see this icon who has been so much a part of our wrestling life, in some case for two, in some cases for multiple generations, right? It's your last chance to see him. It's like going to see the Rolling Stones in concert. It's the last time they're going to be in concert. So you're going to have a lot of people who typically don't watch wrestling anyway, whether it be WWE or AEW. But when the word gets out that Sting is coming to town, this is his last match, you're going to get a turnout. I agree with you. I think Ric Flair is, um, and I don't mean this disrespectfully because I have a lot of respect for Ric Flair in terms of what he's done in, in wrestling. He's garnish on the plate. It's just that little sauce that you know, on the side with uh, respect to, uh, to Virgil. Little meat sauce on the side. That's what Rick presents. But I don't think storyline wise, anybody's oh, I heard Rick's gonna be there. I'm gonna get a ticket. Yeah. I don't think anybody who is on the fence is going to buy a ticket because Rick Flair is involved. But I think Rick Flair's involvement just puts a little, like I said, a little sauce on the side to make the whole thing just a little bit more enjoyable. I was more curious, even just from the local market perspective, because you know, you were talking, Jay, at the beginning of this, just about how you know, much of a draw the horsemen were and Rick was in particular. And if that affected uh, the local draw, I'm really curious to see what the local draw is like. All right. I got to put you on the spot here as we wrap up, Jay, who's going over. Is it Darby and sting or is it the young bucks? I think it's Darby and sting as much as sting doesn't want that to happen. Oh my God. I can't imagine it being any other way. Come on yeah. now. I just, we got it. He's the, is that a serious question? Got to get your picks in bro. Eric, you're doing an entire prediction show ahead of this, so, so we got to uh, we got to get Jay's. I'm not doing any predictions. Look, at, I'm wearing a hat because every time I predict something <laughs> like this or I make a bet, I'm wrong. I'm, no, I'm sure, done. Good point. I'm done making bets. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll predict business because I'm comfortable with the business side of this. But in terms of wrestling, especially in AEW, I'm not predicting anything. Jay, where can people find you, man? 
my stuff is always at orlandosentinel.com. Just just do a search for for pro wrestling and I'll be around. And and you can find me on Twitter at Runnin J. Are you in R-U-N-N-I-N-J-A-Y? Fantastic. Jay, really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for hopping on with us. Absolutely. Hey, Jay, thank you very much and have a great time. Have a great time. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. 2024 is in full swing, and that means it's time for a New Year's resolution check-in with our friends over at Manscaped. Newsflash, it's never too late to level up your grooming game and keep your bush tamed. Manscaped's new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra is every man's cheat code to look good, feel good, and turn the page on confidence this year. Whether you're going for a trim or that clean-shaven look, this trimmer has you covered. Trusted by over 10 million men worldwide, now is your time to get a grip on your grooming with our exclusive offer here. Go to manscaped.com and use code WRESTLEBIZ for 20% off plus free shipping. The ball has dropped, but don't drop the ball on your balls, I guess. See, I wanted to make sure that 2024 was going to be the year that I actually kept my beard in check. Sometimes my pear stylist, she has a thick Dominican accent. She'd say, oh, too patchy. Well, with the beard hedger, I don't got to worry about being patchy because I can keep things nice and clean. But that is above the waist. And I'm talking about below the waist grooming as well. Introducing the MVP of 2024 Manscaped's fifth generation lawnmower. It's not just a trimmer. It's your grooming sidekick equipped with two skin safe blade heads. A standard one for digging a little off the top and new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. It's like having a personal stylist at your fingertips or wherever you need it, and they won't tell you you're patchy either. And did we mention it's waterproof? Because a trim in the shower is the only way to start the day. And for my men who want the full grooming experience, look no further than Manscaped's Performance Package 5.0. In that kit, you're going to get the trusted lawnmower, Manscaped's ear and nose hair trimmer, and essential aftercare products with Crop Soother, Ball Aftershave Lotion, and Crop Preserver Anti-Shaping Ball Deodorant. Yes, deodorant for your balls. Bet you didn't think you needed that. And as a gesture for the new year, they even threw in two free gifts, the Boxers 2.0 and the Shed 2.0 toiletry bag, because they know good and well, you're still rocking your boxers from high school. It's okay, boys, you can admit it. Let's face it. Resolutions might come and go, but a well-groomed you is here to stay. Thanks to Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WrestleBiz at manscaped.com. Embrace a new you and definitely embrace a new trimmer courtesy of Manscaped. Thanks again to Jay for hopping on Strictly Business with us. Really excited for this pay-per-view, the Revolution show, especially just for Sting. I mean, it really feels like a a big deal, and I love when things in wrestling feel like a big deal. You've known Sting for decades, Eric. I know you have a lot of admiration for him as a performer, as a person. Is there anything anything else you want to say about him before we move on from him? Nothing I haven't said before, you know, I'm just happy for him. You know, any, anytime a professional athlete, a performer of any kind, whether it be a, a musician, a boxer, a, a ballerina, it doesn't matter. When you can end your career under your own terms, the way you want it to end, I think that is a blessing. And I'm sure Steve Gordon, who plays the character Sting, feels the same way. And I'm, I'm just happy as hell for him. I am as well. And it should be a great match. I've, I've got high hopes for it. And it should be a great audience. The Greensboro Coliseum legendary wrestling venue should be a fun show. 
Okay, Eric, uh, let's get back to some WWE talk here. Uh, a few legal <laughs> tidbits that we got this week. Uh, the first one came from the earnings call, and, and we heard that there was a, a $20 million uh, basically chunk of change here that was exchanged in an ancillary cost, which boiled down to this lawsuit settlement between MLW and WWE. Now, if you may recall, in January of 2022, MLW had filed a lawsuit accusing WWE of pressuring third parties to abandon contracts and relationships with them. And the lawsuit centered around potential deals with Vice and the streaming service Tubi that MLW claimed WWE interfered with and tried to interfere with. Uh, they reached a settlement back in December. And through the public holdings report, we were able to find out that it was a $20 million settlement that WWE agreed to in order to put this thing to bed. Court Bauer, of course, former WWE creative member, runs MLW. What's your reaction to this? I was surprised, probably like everybody else. That's a that's a massive settlement. I just don't really have much of an impression. You know, I don't know anything about it. That's the hard part. You know, to, to um, I was surprised, to be very honest with you. And here's I I don't know Court. I don't. We may have had a conversation or two somewhere along the line. I don't think we've ever met in person, but I hope for court's sake that he takes whatever is left over out of that 20 million, because I'm sure he's got some costs in there. Uh, if his attorney took it on a contingency, at least 30% of that or 33% of that is going to come off the top. I don't know how the IRS treats a settlement like that. I know that settlements in cases of personal injury are not taxable, but in this case, I don't know if that's considered income or not. But whatever's left over, whatever it is, invest it, retire. Do not try to put it in the wrestling business. Don't, don't, don't do that. You, Court, you've made more money in the wrestling industry than probably some of the top 5% of the, the, the talent on the roster. Certainly more than you were ever going to make running MLW, whether you got on 2B or not. So take the money and run, brother. Take the money and run. So you would not and invest any of that in MLW? Most, and you will go down as one of the most su financially successful promoters in the last 20 years. So Put you wouldn't invest in any of that in MLW? Fuck no. Absolutely not. Now, you know how long it would take or anybody else to make $20 million to, to have $20 million to invest running MLW, that'll never happen. Not in three lifetimes. So just take the freaking money, call it a day. For there to be a settlement of that size, like you said, $20 million is not chump change. Maybe for WWE it is. It's half a Saudi Arabia show, but still, generally speaking, $20 million is not chump change. The notion of WWE being an antitrust property where it's a monopoly essentially is the accusation here what do you think about that uh, because I, i've been racking my brain a lot about this ever since this lawsuit was filed and wwe in its own defense during the case mentioned how successful AEW was in in their own filings to try and prove that it wasn't so i'm curious what your uh, is or not 
Let's just move on. I can't comment on stupidity. Let's just move. I, I'm not <laughs> suggesting anything, Eric. I'm just it's, legally that is what they argued. It is. It was an argument in defense. They were trying to persuade a jury and a judge. Right. Come on. I, I, just, I, yeah, AEW is hugely successful. It's God I'm Almighty. not I'm calling them that. Back and watch the ascension of AEW and how they're going to fill arenas and become the next I'm big not thing in the wrestling them I'll be right there with you, John, watching the ascension of AEW because they said in WWE said a lawsuit that it's hugely successful. The the point they that I'm making was not about AEW. The point that I was making about WWE being a monopoly. I, I mean, has that like when you when you look at monopolization of the industry, is it a monopoly? Because in one scheme of things, most of the money in the industry flows through WWE. But there are also so many promotions out there right now, many of whom have quality media distribution. I was just, I was just curious on what your thoughts are on that. Look, WWE, in my experience, so this is just hands-on experience. In my experience, when I was running w, WCW, there were markets that we just couldn't penetrate. There were venues we could not get into. For example, Madison Square Garden had a relationship, contractual relationship with WWE, that provided that MSG, Madison Square Garden, had to advise WWE should a competitive wrestling company like WCW offer to do business with Madison Square Garden on a particular date. And once notified, WWE had a particular a time window, let's say 30 days for sake of discussion, where they could say, now we want to book that date. They would have first right of refusal if you will, on any date that any other wrestling promotion would try to book inside of Madison Square Garden. Now, that worked for WWE for a long time because nobody challenged it. Nobody could afford to challenge it. Vince McMahon was very, very aggressive when it came to lawsuits in the way he wanted to protect his business. Jerry McDivitt is legendary in terms of being the legal arm to, to, to execute Vince, Vince's vision of how to protect the company legally. And it worked. It was very successful. Was it legal? Yes. Was it ethical? Yeah, you could debate that, but it, it worked. And I think that's one of the ways that WWE had been able to build its business and protect its brand for so long by entering into agreements that limited, for example, if you, if you were a licensing, if you were a, if you were, I'm going to pick Mattel, okay? It's probably the wrong one to pick, but I'm going to pick it anyway because it's the first one that comes to mind. If you're Mattel and WWE is going to enter into a license agreement with a Mattel type of company, there would be language in that contract that would prevent Mattel or any other company that wanted to engage in said license of licensing other wrestling product. That worked for a long time. Now, at some point, and it was obviously MLW and Court Bauer challenged that and hung in there and found an attorney that was not only capable of, of, of challenging WWE from just from a legal perspective, having the talent as a legal, as an attorney, but also had the infrastructure and the support to do it in the time and the patience. That's why Kurt got, or, or, or um, Court got 20 million bucks. But also keep in mind, this could be, and again, I'm not an attorney. I'm not trying to sound smarter than I am. But when you look at certain lawsuits, this could could have been a a, a tort or tortious interference type of con, type of lawsuit, which 
provides punitive damages. So in other words, if I, if I come right. to you, if I sue you for torturous interference, and I first thing I have to do is show damages. Otherwise, what the fuck are we here for? If there's no damages, then nobody's got a complaint. But if I can show you, for example, that according to my expert analysis or the support that I have, had this deal gone forward, I could have made $2 million over the course of three years or five years or whatever it may be. I'm picking numbers out of thin air. If the judge agrees with that, then the judge can multiply that because it's a tort claim. There's right. automatically punitive damages in a tort claim. I believe there are attorneys out there that'll pick this apart and add support to it, but it depends on the type of claim it is. Right? No, but you're essentially saying case, they, they felt they had to deal with vice or to be in that WWE based on the, that, that is considered tortious interference. Right. Exactly. Exactly. See, that's what I was looking for. I wasn't sitting here well, saying, oh, AEW is so successful. Yay, yay, yay. Was... Yeah, but we keep going back to that claim. And, and the reason I react to it is because so many numbskulls, so many idiots, so many frauds that are out there pretending to know what they're talking about, and I'm speaking specifically about Dave Meltzer, are always going back to points like that. Well, they must be successful because WWE said they were in a lawsuit, which is such garbage. It, it is so stupid that when I hear someone say it, I react to that automatically. I react to stupidity in a very stupid way. So there you go. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Well, we got uh, one more lawsuit to talk about. And this actually, our, our friend Brandon Thurston is involved in this one. He's not being sued, nor is WrestleNomics, but it was brought upon by an inquiry from WrestleNomics. Uh, WWE filed a lawsuit against Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton in an attempt to block the release of bidding information related to the 2023 Royal Rumble, which, if you recall, was held in San Antonio last year. So Brandon filed a public information request last February, looking for public records that were relating to the Royal Rumble, including information about ticket sales, any talks between the city, attendance, anything of that nature. And initially, the city of San Antonio objected to disclosing that information, and Ken Paxton's office was all on board with that. But then in January of this year, it reversed its decision to require disclosure of the information requested. So WWE is arguing in this lawsuit that filed that the first ruling was correct and that its reversal should be overturned because they argue that if that information became public, WWE could lose negotiating leverage with trying to obtain bids from cities for future events. Now, Eric, they did talk about in the TKO holdings call this week that WWE would eventually like to be in a situation where pretty much cities are bidding for every single premium live event that they have. Uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? Because I do think this is actually something that could tangibly have an effect on how WWE does its business going forward in terms of that bid process. In what way? How, how, how do you see that? How will, well, how because will... I think if the bids are made public and it's required essentially that you have this precedent set that even on some of the biggest events like Royal Rumble, uh, I think that does affect the negotiation 
leverage or lack of leverage that a company like WWE could have in future negotiations with other cities. I wonder how, I wonder why, what, and I don't know. I mean, yeah. here, here's, I'll give you my first reaction and we'll dig into it a little bit. My first reaction is I was surprised. Number one, I was surprised that Paxton would make that move. Why would you want to create a wedge, if you will, between TKO and a city like San Antonio where you could be creating a situation where WWE says, well, then fuck it. We just won't do business in Texas. We just won't bring big, we'll, we'll, we'll bring TV there. We'll, we'll do our normal course of business and we'll do houses there, but we're not going to bring our big events to Texas because our proprietary information is being made public there. That potentially has a down, negative downstream effect on Big Mart, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin. There are a lot of cities that could be potentially, you know, pay-per-view cities that if Texas is going to divulge what WWE or TKO considers to be proprietary information, just don't do business there. What's the advantage of making that information public? What, how does how does how does San Antonio benefit? How does Texas benefit? What are the risks? I just talked about the risks. So if the risks outweigh the benefits, what are we doing? I'm curious. I don't know. Uh, WWE's own communications department in this lawsuit also says even within WWE, these terms are discussed only by a select group of internal personnel on a need-to-know basis, and the fully executed agreements are shared only with relevant personnel in WWE's financial department and saved on a drive that is accessible only by the legal department. So essentially, there you go. Well, it is clearly proprietary information in the in the in the eyes of those in, in WWE, and I just can't. Again, what is the advantage? Who wants to know and why? And does exposing that information put me at risk with a company like TKL? Future events. Oh, by the way, there's also UFC events. There's a lot of events that TKL could just find. We'll, we'll just find another place to do it because sure. there's a lot of markets. It's a very competitive market. A lot of people want TKO property, whether it's UFC or WWE. So if you're going to do business with them and you don't want to respect their proprietary information, I guess that's a choice. I don't understand it, though. What do you think of WWE's desire to have pretty much their entire PLE business come via bids in terms of location? I, I very much believe, Eric, that that is a point they will get to eventually. And it seems like that's, again, one of those resonating factors of having someone like Nick Khan in that position. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? If if I know I'm going to bring an event to your your neighborhood... And your neighborhood is going to benefit tremendously from a financial perspective. I'm bringing a revenue to your market, or I can bring my revenue to, or that revenue to another market. So that gives me leverage. I, I, I have a product that benefits your community. I want to participate in that. That's business. That's how business is conducted. I, I, Again, I'm repeating myself, and I'm tired of it. Why, why mess with it? What is the benefit? I don't get it, but whatever. I, I hope they do. I hope WWE does get to. I hope the product becomes so successful and so popular that WWE gets paid for all of their big events, and AEW, if they could ever get to the point where they can draw a meaningful audience consistently 
and bring money to a market that's measurable and meaningful. I would love to see AEW get to that point and WWE get to that point. And I'd love to see where they're both, you know, competing for the same market or that market is competing for them and they both benefit. But you don't do that by exposing proprietary information and formulas and methodology. I don't, it's silly, We're, but hey. Were there any bids ever put on WCW shows? Ah, we no, I didn't think so. <laughs> no, we had a, you know, I, I, look, we, no, we, WCW were, we had attendance that was dismal, abysmal, horrible, call it whatever you will. We, we were drawing 1500 people to, to a pay-per-view and, and half of those were papered. Who's going to buy that back then? And yeah, things turned around in 95, 96, 97, 98. But in order to get to a position where you've got cities and states wanting to invest in you and bring your, your property to their market, because you've proven over an extended period of time that that event brings money into the market, that takes time. And WCW would never, never got to that level. We, we were successful. We brought money into a market for some of our big events, but certainly nothing like WWE does. Yeah. Probably yeah. not even a fraction of it. I go to the big WWE events now and I meet as many people from around the world as I do from the state that the events in, yeah. you know, WWE, WCW never got to that point. Well, and that's why I, I think it's a great way to look at too, just how, hot the wrestling industry is right now wwe specifically in terms of perception within business like i always hear eric when people get in the discourse of oh you know wrestling isn't as hot as it was in the 90s because not 11 million people are watching on monday nights well when you look at the value of these shows and these big events to these local economies to these media distributors there's so much damn money in it all right now and I think that is a credit more than anything to the perception and mediation of how wrestling and sports entertainment, WWE specifically, are perceived in the general realm. And it's, it's only WWE is perceived that way. Professional wrestling as a whole is not. Only WWE is in the conversation with major markets for this type of subsidy. The wrestling business as a whole is not perceived to be hot within the wrestling community and on the internet it is because they point to all these different wrestling events that are taking place, independent events and small, you know, whether it be impact or AEW or new Japan pro wrestling or brawling midgets or whatever it is, there's a lot of interest, you know, in small wrestling properties, but in the context of what we're talking about, mm -hmm. it's WWE is hot. Yeah. At the wrestling business. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. WWE is just right now on fire. And heading into WrestleMania, man, I mean, it's just going to be a massive, massive event. And they keep dropping some breadcrumbs as to what those night one and night two main events are looking to be. And I think what we were talking about last week is definitely where they are headed. So uh, we will find out. Uh, good stuff, Eric. As always, we encourage people to join us here on Strictly Business. Advertise with Eric.com is your place to do that. Get your business, get your product out in front of thousands of listeners every single week on the Strictly Business and 83 Weeks feed. Uh, is advertised with Eric.com. Eric is going to be live with Conrad ahead of AW Revolution and after AW Revolution. Uh, I, I'm going to make a bold prediction, Eric. Ready for this? 
You're going to be gonna able shave to your do... head. Are you going to shave your head if no, you're wrong? No, no, Because you're not no. any kind of a man if you don't put it all on the line. I don't. I'm not in a position where I can't, uh, where, where where I can put my hair on the line. Oh, but... that's right. Because you got that sports. You got a TV gig. I yeah, <laughs> but but I will bet there's like probably a 67 to 70 percent chance that your post show will be off the air before AEW's press conference even starts on Sunday night. So uh, my thoughts I don't, even, I don't know if we're covering. I mean, I don't know. First of all, calling it a press conference is, is should anybody that's, I think it's offensive. It's not a press conference. It's, it's, it's a circle jerk, but whatever. I don't know that we're going to cover the circle jerk. We may depends what happens. Maybe if someone lunges at Sting in the locker room, we'll have to find out. Maybe that will uh, get everyone talking. <laughs> Sting takes a bat to some people in the locker room. I guess that, that would register. But, man, those things start so late. They go so late. But I'm excited for the event. I'm excited to see your show. And uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Anything else you want to add, Eric? No, man, I'm good. This has been Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff. Wait, we'll see you next time. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.